All right, hey, we are in chapter eight. Woo, eight. How many of you guys are excited and praying that we're going to make it to double-digit chapters one day? Start date, 15, 12, 918. I know you're out there, but that's right. Uh, chapter eight, page 87, we're dealing with the issue of dealing with uh, what? Temptation, that's right, you can read, and uh, that's the topic that we're at there at the top of 87, and we all know when it comes to temptation, we have the ultimate scapegoat, the devil made me do it, right? The spirit of Flip Wilson, you guys remember him? Yeah, praise God. You know, that's one of the benefits of uh, having an older generation around, they get some of my corny jokes. How many of you guys remember Millie Vanilli? Remember that one? See, I got you on some of that, I'm starting to cause a church split with that one, but uh, uh, believe it or not, on the, when I was pastoring in New York, I shared that analogy. Millie Vanilli, for those of you who do not know, was a pop group uh, <laughs> who faked their music, apparently, and they lip sync it and all that stuff, and people thought they were really doing it, and it came out later that they faked it. So anytime that you're you know, doing something you're faking or whatever, it became a, a euphemism, Millie Vanilli. You're pulling a Millie Vanilli. You guys got it? You understand now? Right. I shared that analogy out for at least probably a good three years with a major assumption to the congregation there. They had a clue of who Millie Vanilli was, and they didn't. Anyway, let's move on. Dealing with temptation. That's right. <laughs> 87 is our, our The devil made me do it. That's right. Uh, the devil made me do it, okay, is the scapegoat, okay, and uh, let's take a look at the top of the page there. In high school, my brothers and I were involved in trapping uh, for furs to make extra money. Now, once again, I have to make this disclaimer. That's not me. That's this author who wrote this chapter, although I was involved personally back in the Midwest with trapping, hunting, fishing, so this one touches close to home. He said, one of the best baits for trapping fur bearers was canned sardines, okay? We used to use also this stuff called uh, anise. It's like a licorice-based thing, for those of you wondering how to trap beaver. Uh, anyway, and uh, it says, one day I realized I had no money to buy the sardines, but still needed to bait my traps. I thought in my mind, I can probably take a can or two of sardines from the store, and they would never know it. I was immediately convicted that it was wrong, but here's the problem. I continued to, what'd he say? Toy, right? Okay, so what he basically did was he went out and he got some the old electrical car that he can control. And you, I gotta wake you guys up tonight. We gotta get going. No, it's a different kind of toy. What he's talking about is this. He's toying, he's playing with the idea. Got it? Okay, now that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says, and that's the beginning of losing uh, the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of giving in to temptation. Later, if we get that far, uh, we'll see that temptation in itself is not sin. It's when you give in to it. But the reason why we go into it is because we have a slow reaction time. Instead of doing what the Bible says, when temptation comes your way, okay, we are to flirt with it. No, we're supposed to toy with it. Oh, that's right, you guys got it. Flee, we're supposed to run in the opposite direction and the response time is critical. Reminds me of a one time in a Bible college and we had like three and a half hour lectures at night and we had a break in there sometime and we'd always go out in the hall for about 10, 15 minutes and rap about what we're talking about. And I remember one of the fellow students, he came out and he had this, uh, he says, man, check this out, I got this great analogy about sin. And uh, he said, uh, uh, the response time, okay, this is toy, your fleeing thing, the issue is the response. Your response time is absolutely critical, okay? And he says, for instance, he says, you ever play that game as a kid when you had a rubber band, right? And, and you, you tied it on your finger and you, you, you pulled it back and just let it snap? Orson, you grew up in the Midwest. These are the games that we came up with, right? Because there was nothing else to do. Okay, besides trap beavers and listen to Millie Vanilli. But anyway, that's right. So, <laughs> anyway, so, or did you ever do that on your sibling? 
Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Man. <laughs> so you pull a rubber band back, right? Okay, now he says, now if you notice with the rubber band, if you pull it back here, you, you start to wince and you go, eh, it's going to hurt. You let go. It's oh, okay. But if you pull it back even about twice as far, you really start to go, oh, do oh. you see? You're, you're even doing it right now. Ah, ah. you know, it's going to, and then if you really stretch that thing where it's like, oh, it's going to break it, and then you, you're just like, oh, it's going to get a well, right? So that's the little funny, exciting game. He said it's the same thing with temptation. He says, if you would have let go of the, once it started to pull, okay, the rubber band, if you'd let go in the beginning, wouldn't be much of a reaction there and you can just move on like boy that was a crazy thing to do only people like pastor billy and orson and those who grew up in the midwest would dare play those crazy sadistic games but uh, uh so, you, so you would move on there okay but the the response time is critical but if you waited and you kept going and you kept going and you kept going oh it's going to hurt that much more the further you go with that rubber band right and then if you just kept on going yeah let's just take it all the way to the max bang right the same thing when it comes to temptation. His problem, as he rightly states, is the opposite of the Bible. He toyed with that. He let that, his response time was horrible, okay? When the first tugging began to go, let go, flee, run, don't do it, right? The response time is critical. But the more you toy with that, you're going to get more tension, you're going to get more pulling, and all of a sudden, bang, it's going to bear fruit and give birth to sin. That's his problem. He began to toy with the idea. Now, dare I say, the reason why uh, we're usually having a problem with temptation is because we don't give uh, much attention uh, to where temptation begins. We dealt with this uh, a while back. We, we are made up of what's called a tripart being a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, your soul is your personality, you, and that's your mind, and your will, and your emotions, okay? Now, your mind, of course, is basically your thought life is what's going on. Your will is your decisions that are being made upon with your will with, based on the thoughts. And your emotions are your feelings, okay, is what's going on there. Now, said all that to say this. Now, as a Christian, before you got saved, you were dead spiritually, cut off from God, right? But here's the great news. Now, as a Christian, you're born again, okay, as we saw before. So now you're spiritually alive okay yay okay now here's where the battle comes in so now you're getting input from the spirit of god to do what is right right that's the new you, you created new in christ jesus right this is the new you okay now you still the problem is this is where the war paul talks about in galatians comes in is you got the old you the old sin nature and he'll talk about that if we get that far in the notes okay that's the old you that's not who you are anymore that's the old you still hanging around trying to uh, do everything contrary to God. And so you're still, every day you get up, you're caught in that war, that tension that Paul uh, talks about. He says, this is what the spirit wages war against the flesh. The flesh wages war against the spirit. And that's why you're like, ah, do I? You ever see those Bugs Bunny cartoons or whatever those cartoons back in the day, they always had the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Believe it or not, that's pretty accurate to what's going on every single day. Now, here's my whole point. I said all that, that goes on in your mind. Where did this guy's downfall come from? He was in there, he's going to, uh, you know, get some sardines, nothing wrong with that, okay, but all of a sudden something entered his mind. Now you can get into a theological debate, where did that come from? Did it come from his own sin nature? Did it come from the influence of this wicked world system? Did it come from uh, Satan or demons, some demonic issue? I don't know, but the point is, either one of those inputs is down here, starts here, okay? Then all of a sudden he starts getting convicted, guess where that input's coming from? God's saying... No, and so you basically have that going on all the time. Now listen, we don't pay attention to our mind. We're so lazy with our minds that we deal with the after effects 
instead of tracing it back to this time. And if you're going to have good response time and to where you're not constantly falling for temptation instead of dealing with temptation, you have to pay attention to what goes on to your brain. But we're not. Our brains are so used to doing whatever they want, thinking whatever they want, however they want, we just don't pay attention to it. I call it backing up the train, okay? A train goes off uh, the rails here and creates a big old giant wreck, okay? You just got to ask yourself, okay, where did it get off track, okay? And so if we're uh, guilty of a sin, maybe even a repeated sin, you have to at at least at some point back up the train, because at some point before you committed that sin, okay, you were walking along your track with Jesus and things were apparently going pretty good. But somewhere along the track, you started to veer off, right? That's what I call back. So back up the train, where did you veer off? And I'll guarantee you, okay, it started somewhere over here. Some thought entered your brain. It either came from your old man, as we're going to see. It, it might have been something you saw on TV. might have been a song on the radio. might have been somebody else's behavior. might have been what you saw. might have been what you heard. But it triggered a thought. Now listen, because you toyed with that thought. La, 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 bang. Like the rubber band, it snaps back. You got, oh. And I don't know about you, but finally when I began to understand this process of how we are made and our makeup and how we process information even spiritually, it was like, finally, now I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, even in the negative sense. And if I want to experience more consistent victory, I'll tell you what, the number one thing I better be paying attention to is my mind. And then if I don't want to have so much temptation, has nothing to do with legalism, we talked about this before, then I better pay attention to what influences my mind, and the two big influences in my mind have to do with my eyes and then my ears. You want to knock out 80% of temptation, dare I say, to throw out a large number, then pay attention to what goes in here and what goes in here. And if you can maintain what goes in here and here and keep it in a godly fashion, guess where your brain is? Exactly what Paul said. You think on whatever is right, lovely, trustworthy, praiseworthy, excellent, and true. Hey, the peace of God. Yay. Right? But if you want to put in sin and sinful stuff and a bunch of things that's anti-Jesus, anti-God, and encourages you to sin, oh, I just, you know, this doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Because eventually you toy with it long enough, bang, you're going to make a decision on that thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you start toying around with it, bang, you're going to sin, and then your feelings come around it's like, oh, what a goober. Jesus, would you please forgive me? Why did I do that? And if you're tired of just, if uh, again, constantly be under the, a gun of, of uh, not experiencing the victory over temptation, again, get back here. Pay attention to what goes on to your brain. He toyed with it. He didn't flee with it. If you get to the point where you're so used to paying attention, moment by moment, what goes through your brain, then here's the great news. You're going to understand the victory of the verse that God says there is no temptation that has seized you that's not common to man. God has always provided a way out of every single one. But we usually don't take the way out because we're not paying attention to what's going through our brain. Pay attention to what goes through your brain, and then the moment, listen, something that is counter uh, to what God would have us to do, you don't toy with it, you flee with it, continue on and have a great day with Jesus Christ. Do you see how it works? It's nuts and bolts, it's practical Christianity, but I'm telling you, until we get a handle of how we work, we're always going to be dealing with the after effects. We're always going to be dealing with the train wreck. I'm more interested in not just look at all that wreckage I, and, oh, okay, I got to clean up the wreckage. Okay, I got to confess that wreckage. I want to know, I don't want to wreck anymore. So how did I get off track and I don't want to do that again? You see what I'm saying? 
That's what we're talking about. But he toyed with the idea, and here's what happened. The longer I thought about it, the more appealing it became. See, response time is critical. As soon as it came, wow, get out of there. But he toyed with it. And he says, okay, so eventually I went to the store and I walked in the shelf where the sardines were. I slipped two cans in my boots and I went to the checkout counter and I bought a piece of gum. Satisfied no one had seen me, I headed off uh, to my bait traps and I had allowed temptation to overcome me. As a result, it was what? Sin, okay? Temptation itself is not sin. It's when you give into it. But the reason why we give into it is because we don't flee from it, we toy with it, Okay? And that's what he says, okay? He says, I had allowed temptation to overcome me, and its result was sin. Was the devil totally to blame for my sin? Well, 50%. The other half was uh, Junior. It was Junior. He was right there, right, Junior? No, I got your attention now. That's good. Uh, No, no. Okay, he wasn't to, to blame. Okay, he might have had influence, but who is responsible? Okay, a thought is not a sin per se. Okay, it's what you do with that. A temptation, if you will. Okay, it's what you do with that. And at some point, you decided, you, we, we decided what we were going to do with that. Yes or no? Am I going to go there or not going to go there? Okay? Temptation is not a sin. It's when we give in to it. All right? What is temptation? The Greek verb in the New Testament uh, translated to try is to tempt, is your first blank there. To tempt is the Greek word periodso. Let's say that. Right on. Maybe next week, uh, Daniel, everyone will say that like I asked them to. And the Midwest humor silence was deadly. That's right. Everybody, I mean, that's right. The periodso. Woo! What a night. Uh, which carries <laughs> with it uh, many contents to the negative me of an enticement. Is your next blank there? Enticement to sin. Enticement. To sin. James uses it in this way in his epistle. He writes, "Let no one say when he is what." Tempted, I am tempted by God. Now, that's a serious charge. We'll get to that in a second. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, okay? And he himself does not tempt anyone, okay? So temptation, that's your next blank there. Temptation is when we are enticed to do something that is displeasing to God and against his law. Okay, got it? That's the whole thing. Now, I think we talked about this before, maybe just in passing, but I want to bring it up here on this issue. There's two different... There's the one English word, test or tempt, okay? But there's two different Greek words, okay? That's being used in the scripture. The first one is uh, your dokimazo, okay? The next one is the one we were just talking about, is periodso, okay? So how many guys are gonna name your next two cats that? <laughs> you should. But anyway, that's right. Uh, dokimazo is the one that's used of God, okay? And it's used of to uh, test. Let me give you the definition of that. To test someone or something for the purpose, listen, of approving them right? Now, when you were in school and you had to take that exciting test, right? The test was an absolute torture device from the teacher, right? That's what we thought. But in theory, uh, so I hear the test was for the purpose of approving the student to see how well they were doing, to strengthen them, to help them to learn, to help them to grow, right? It's the same thing when it's used of God. Okay, he does not tempt, but he will test, he will do a dokimatsu, okay? But it's for the purpose of approving us, okay? Now, the word that's used perazzo for tempt, and Paul says, don't ever, you, don't ever say God's doing that because that is the one that's used for solicitations and suggestions of Satan. Now, do you see why Paul says in that passage, don't you ever say God's tempting me? Because in essence, what are you saying? God is soliciting me to do evil. 
That's a charge on his core character. He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. What? Now he'll test you, but it's not for an evil purpose. Now this is huge. I mean, we just finished a 10-week study on this. Why do bad things happen to God's people? And hopefully after uh, the first three dealt with the philosophical, biblical reasons, where did evil come from and all that stuff, the last seven studies was 20 reasons, great reasons, why God allows these challenges, i.e., dare I say, test us. And it's for good stuff. Now, here's my point why this is a serious charge. James is saying, don't you dare say God is, is tempting me. Can I, can, I, can I translate this? Don't you dare say that God has ordered these events to do something evil to you. Right? Why? Because that's what the devil does. That's not what God does. He's our heavenly father. And he loves us. We're his children. You have a child. To use the analogy, you have a child. Your father has a little child and it's time for the child to walk. What do you do? Well, you stand the child up, even though they can't really walk right now, okay? And you're right there with them, and, and you're holding them up eventually in the beginning, right? And then you're kind of walking, and then you might even let go for a little bit there and help them walk. But you're right there. You're not going to let them, you know, bang your head on the concrete or something. You're right there with them. But, but you got to let them go because they got to they gotta take those baby steps, okay, and begin to learn to walk or whatever. And, but you're right there to catch them, okay? Now, here's the point. Is that father who's teaching that child to walk absolutely st- uh, sadistic? No, I say it's craziness. It would be a crazy charge to say that, okay? And, and, and so that's what we need to understand. That's what God's doing when He's testing us. It's He's teaching us to walk like Jesus walked. He's te- He's strengthening us, okay? He's right there with us, okay? But He's allowed this circumstance to to help us to grow, to help us to strengthen, to to help us to get our legs about us, if you will, to learn to walk in victory, okay? It's a necessary process. Now listen, the word that's used of Satan, the periodso though, is basically if somebody sets, it'd be the same exact father, if you will, has the child up there, okay, and then puts the child and sit on the floor, puts him up here on the top of this podium right here, okay, and says, uh, you know, it goes over there and says, hey, jump. And they jump and the person gets completely out of the way and the child goes, bam, smashes their face in. That's what the devil does, okay? That's not what God does. Now, I said all that to get to this. You have to understand, this is a serious charge. When it comes to our difficulties, and that's what that whole study was a majority of it about, God is not doing something wrong when we go through bad things. Okay, he's promised he's working all things together for good. Okay, it's one thing to know that, but listen to our actions. Are our actions when we hit those hard times? Are we, in essence, doing what James says, don't you dare do? God, why are you allowing this? This is something, you're, it's evil. What are you charging God of? Are you saying he's like Satan? That's what Satan does. Yeah, he wants you to fail. Satan wants you to fail. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He wants to destroy you. But if God's allowed it, it's for your good. He's teaching you to walk. He's te- you see what I'm saying? And so as Christians, we need to understand that no. Listen, God, yes, this is, this is strenuous. I, I feel like I'm going to fall. I hardly even got, why are you doing this to me? I don't, I don't understand why. We have to trust him that in fact, this is something for our good. He is testing us to approve us, not to torture us, okay? And that's what he's talking about there. Uh, Temptation is when we're enticed to do something displeasing to God and against his law, okay? He will test us, God will test us, but he will never tempt us. And there's a world of difference there. What are the sources of temptation? The Bible tells us that all enticements to violate God's law come from one of these three sources. Here's your blanks there. The world, the flesh, and Junior, right, Junior? No, we're just kidding. Uh, the world, the flesh, 
and the devil, okay, is what's going on there. You could, you could even break it down if you want to get into semantics, uh, maybe four, and take world and split it into two. Just this flat-out wicked world system, period, and then the individual people that are encouraging in worldly things. So, but anyway, but world, flesh, and the devil. Now, let's take a look at those three. Temptation from the world is the first one, okay? Now, listen, this is, this is the old guy here. This is the negative put that you're getting in your brain every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you stay up that long. Okay, oh, and boy, sometimes you don't even get a break in your sleep, do you? It'll smack on you in your dreams and stuff. Okay, but anyway, so uh, every day you're getting input from uh, God up here and then the negative guy here, but this negative guy is broken down into the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, is what's going on there. Let's deal with that first one. In John's first epistle, he states the following. Do not love the world, okay, nor the things in the world. Why? Well, because it's a heart issue. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Oh, I love God. I love Jesus. Woo! Really? A man's God. Let me share that exciting quote with you. Uh, he says this, A man's God is that for which he lives, for which he is prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. So whatever gets the majority of your time and affection, that is your God. And the Bible says if it's not God of the Bible, the one and only God, it's called an idol. And that, that's exactly what he says here. On the one breath, you're saying, oh, I love God. I love Jesus. Woo, he's awesome. He's the number one thing in my life. And woo, really? So that means to tell me if you really love him, then uh, that is the majority of where you're spending your time. That's where your energy is around. That's where you're spending your cash. Uh, that's what stimulates you. That's what rouses you. That's what excites you. That's what enthuses you. In fact, you, you just put up with those conversations when people come around and go, hey, how's the weather? Or did you hear about so-and-so team? That's cool. That's cool. Okay, that's neat. Uh, can we get back to Jesus? Because I love him. And I want to talk about him. That's somebody that loves him. Where's your conversation? Where's your mind? Where's your time? That's what he says. You can say all you want that I, I love the Father. I have the love of the Father in me. But if what you spend your time, your energy, your resources, your conversation tells you who you worship. And he says, listen, if anybody loves this world, uh, you can say it all you want. The love of the Father's not in you. Okay? For all, listen, here's why. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Remember that word? It's epithumia. It means a violent passion, right? This world is not just saying, hey, could you possibly sort of maybe consider, you know, doing this sinful thing? You know, if you just want to think about it, maybe over a couple of days or so. No, it's just like right in your face. Oh, this is it. Oh, it's violently passionate to get you to run from God. Okay, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and of course, the boastful pride of life. That's not from the Father, that's from the world is your next blank there. Okay, and the world is passing away. And also, it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever, is what he's talking about there. Do you realize that everything in this wicked world system is drawing us away from God? So why in the world, on the one breath we say, we love Jesus, and I want to experience victory over temptation, why would we spend the majority of our time, energy, resources, everything in the world? It's just like a, it's just, it's a, one, man, apparently tonight is Midwest 101. <laughs> we had nothing to do with the Midwest, Orson, I know you know this stuff, and, but for those of you who have never lived in the Midwest, uh, there's nothing to do out there. 
Nothing. Okay? And uh, so you make up games, you explore, you do whatever, you get into trouble, unfortunately, as I did. And uh, so one time we decided to go down by the river there outside town and uh, explore the exciting thing to do because there's nothing else to do, and that's called the dump. So we went down to the dump, okay? And it was not towards the river, and some of it fell into the river, and apparently that's before the... Uh, EPA showed up and anything. But anyway, so, but uh, you went further back in there and there were some caves in there. So that was kind of cool guy stuff, right? Whatever. So we're going in from the river around the dump area. And uh, as we're trudging through this woody, rotten area, poison ivy, all that exciting stuff, thorn bushes. And uh, all of a sudden we spy a huge giant. You guys are going to love my artwork. Hornet's nest, hey, praise God, that's right, draw Skippy and I can get that job at TV Guide. But uh, so there it was, and uh, uh, we saw a big old, it was right on this log. Now there was a couple hornets, right, just around there, okay, just a couple. And so as guys, we could have just easily, really, even trudging, <laughs> making noise, okay, we could have easily went around it, no problem. But what did we have to do? Oh, no, no, we had to grab sticks, we had to do all stuff, we had to beat that hornet's nest. All right. Now, we got maybe one, maybe two, maybe three on a good day, wax at that thing. And you know what we did? We screamed like little girls. <laughs> and we ran back towards the river because there comes those things. <laughs> we, I, kid you, I was laughing, running so hard. And they were stinging us as we were you're trying to run. At, I mean, a full bore. These things were after us, right? And one guy, I was laughing so hard, I grabbed the back of his pants and he was, he was trying to beat me off because he was running faster and I didn't want to get behind. So he, he was dragging me through. Anyway, we literally dove in the river and they were still stinging us and whatever and all that stuff. It's like, that was dumb. But that was good action for the Midwest. Okay, that was a great day. But anyway, so but anyway, here's, I say on my point. Many years later, after becoming a Christian, dealing with this issue of temptation, okay, our mistake was we could have just went around that thing and we'd been fine. But what we did, our mistake was we purposely beat the hornet's nest. Okay, dumb thing to do. Okay, now I said all that to get to this. We laugh at that. It's like, man, you guys really are lame in the Midwest. How'd you even make it out of here? Okay, on the West Coast. Okay, and uh, who in the right mind would beat the hornet's nest and then purposely get stung and, and go through all that and have to run and go through all that pain and do that and, and then be humiliated by confessing that in Las Vegas in a group of adults as they laugh at you. And then why would you do that? That's not smart. Nobody would do something like that. Listen, spiritually, that's what we're doing when all we care about is the world. This world is a giant hornet's nest. And every time we invest our time, our treasure, our talents, our tongues, our affections, our conversations, everything, we're just going, yeah, bring it on. And we wonder why we're getting so stung again and again and again with temptation. And we're sitting there going, oh. And we wonder why there's not much victory in our walk with Jesus Christ. Why? Oh, that's really just a sin. It just keeps coming up. Or it's going, that's why. why? Where's, you're beating the hornet's nest somewhere. You need to isolate it. What is it? And stop beating it. Just go around the thing. Don't love this world. Don't beat the hornet's nest. Not saying it's all going to go away, but it's going to go down quite a bit, okay, is what he's talking about. Here the word world is the Greek word kosmos, or cosmos, okay, is being used in the sense of, listen, an entity hostile to God. 
So again, that adds like insult to injury. We say, oh, I have a loving relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. I love him. He's so awesome. But you know what? I am going to spend the majority of my time in affections with the number one enemy who is hostile to the one I say I love. We don't think of the world that way, do we? We play with it. We, can I use his word that is up here somewhere? Uh, toy with it? And again, it's hostile to God. But look, look at the world. If, if you could now draw this into more like the earth, it's a giant hornet's nest. Why would you play? Why would you toy? Why would you beat on something that's going to cause you such great pain and, dare I say, hurt the heart of God? Okay, let's continue on. As he says there, he says, and it's always seductive, a seductive influence which Christians should continually resist. Okay? And this is the other thing. See, the enemy, well, if we get that far, the enemy says uh, Satan is the God, the little g of this world system, right? So again, that adds even more insult to in, in, injury. Let's define that enemy that is hostile to God that we're, we're playing with, the world. It's Satan. On the one hand, we say, I love God. I love his kingdom. I love living for him. But on the other hand, I'm going to go in the devil's playground. But we need to understand the character of the enemy. On top of that, it's bad enough we're hurting the heart, the heart of God. But who is this enemy? This enemy, Jesus said, is a murderer and a liar. He, he's a li- he wants to hurt you. He wants to harm you. So you're chumming up with somebody, if you will. I'm going to use a strong analogy here. You're chumming up with somebody who's a mass murderer. Oh, who would ever hang out with a mass murderer? I mean, that's, that's pretty risque behavior what? That's who Satan is. And that's who's in charge of this hornet's nest that we keep beating and we wonder why we, you know what I'm saying? So we can't play that. And I say those words because listen, that's what the Bible says. James chapter four, turn there. And this is what he says. Very stinging words. But, but if anything, if anything, uh, it should grab our attention. James chapter four, Okay, and here's what he says, number four, and he's talking about fights and quarrels, where do fights and quarrels come from and all this stuff, it's because you want what you want and you're gonna get what you want, that's what the world says, right? It's all about you, get what you want, it's all about you, okay? And he says this in response to that, James chapter four, verse four, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with this world is what? What? Hatred. Wow. So now it's not even self-defeating, it's beating a hornet's nest, and that's where all the temptations come from. That not only uh, hurts the heart of God, uh, that's not only chumming up with a mass murder, God's ultimate enemy, but it, you're basically saying, that's, I, I hate you, God. Wow. Has the world done a masterful job of masking its real reality upon you and I to where it's God's enemy and the enemy of our souls and yet we play with it so often. He says it's hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes a what? An enemy of God. That's some serious words that are used there, okay? And that's what it is. But again, this whole issue is where does temptation come? How am I going to deal with it? This is strong words. This is convicting words. This is from, from the scripture. But this is how serious, uh, do you really want to deal with temptation? Do you really want to experience the victory that we have in Jesus Christ? Then you have to take this first of the three enemies who every single day is enticing you to do something evil and against God and to ultimately lie and kill and steal and destroy and if he can, to murder you. See, that's the other thing we don't get. 
this world would say, hey, go out there and get drunk. Yes, that's probably not a good thing to do as Christians. The Bible's very clear about that on drunkenness. Well, do you understand, from a spiritual point of view, why the enemy would want you to do that? His character has been revealed. Because if you get drunk enough, there's good odds, if you will, to play that game, that you might uh, uh, die in a crash. You're dead. Or if he can't get you, then he'll get you to smash into somebody else, and they're dead. Or get all you in one shot. You see, that's who we're dealing with here, right? Why would somebody want to, uh, we're enticed by this world system uh, to commit uh, fornication or do something like that? Well, ho maybe hopefully, from the enemy's point of view, you can get some disease and die. Or then begin to spread that to some, do you see who we're dealing with here? That's why he says, man, that's hatred towards God. Don't be a friend of this world. Are you kidding me? If we're serious about dealing with temptation, we have to lump down this first, wow, that's a big horse pill. Uh, but folks, that's who we're dealing with. This is evil. This is an evil empire that we're currently walking on. And if we want to experience the victory, we have to deal with the kind of world that we live in and its motives and the character of the one who's ruling it, i.e. Satan, if you will. Okay, and I use that loosely because he is the ruler of this little world, but that doesn't supersede, praise God, the sovereignty of God. But that's a whole other study, uh, as we know. But, uh, but that's what he's saying. This is serious stuff. If you want to experience the victory, you have to understand your first enemy, man. And it's everywhere. And we, we need to flee. We need to run from The world competes for the love of Christians, and one cannot love both it and the Father at the same time. Okay? The word cosmos means order, system, or regulation, and indicates that the world is in an order system, but in every instance, and there are many, where a moral, is your next blank there, a moral feature of the world is in view, this cosmos world is said to be opposed to God. Okay? Opposed to God. It is declared uh, to have originated in its plan in order with who? Satan. He promotes it and is its prince and God. This cosmos system is largely characterized by its ideals and entertainments. How does it, the world get its ideals and entertainments into our mind? Well... TV, internet, so the media. You know what? Wouldn't it be great if some Christians would use the same goofy tool that the uh, enemy's using for so much evil and enticement to sin and do something great for the glory of God with it? Hey, that's what we're doing. That's right, Kay. That's exactly what we're doing. Praise God. What a great thing to do. But anyway, that's right. Uh, TV, internet. Did you, uh, why is it, why, uh, let, me, let me throw this one at you. Not just that. How about the educational system? Because we know that in schools today, boy, they promote Jesus Christ. Yes, and we're being completely facetious, okay? But that's right. Okay, well, praise God, some do. Praise God. And uh, uh, Christian schools and things of that nature. So I'm talking, uh, let me use the word secular. Okay, let me use the word secular. Okay, and, uh, but uh, do they promote God? Absolutely not. Okay, now listen, you combine just those three inputs. Okay, there's more. Just those three, educational system, the TV, and the internet, the media. Okay, and uh, is it a, any, can, can, I, can I explain a, a dilemma for you? Why is it, I think it's even more today, but this is an old stat, I think 2001, something like that, 33% of people who profess to be born-again Christians say that homosexuality is fine. And now we even know churches even not just split over the issue, uh, but they have even said that uh, it's okay for somebody behind the pulpit to be uh, engaged in that behavior. 
How could that be? Leviticus, Romans, Old Testament, New Testament. This isn't even something you got to like even search high and low. It's all over. Okay, I mean, that, I mean, that's a basic one. How in the world could you slide? Because can I tell you something? Here's the reality. Uh, what is the educational system teaching? Secular. What is the TV promoting? Did you realize that it's either 95 or 98% of all sitcoms that come out uh, in the airways are pro-homosexual? Uh, what is being promoted? Same thing with the internet and all that stuff. So can I tell you based on that, because we'd say, well, how could you ever do that? How could you profess to be a Christian and do that? Well, because we say, because that's what the doctrinal statement says, that this is the Bible is the book that uh, completely uh, solo scriptura defines our rule for faith and practice. But what is the actual practice is, can I tell you, these three things is what shapes our beliefs. The reason why people are, are uh, uh, caving into that is because they're listening to that and they're being brainwashed by this cosmos to believe that. Many of the standards in, in Christianity, that even just the core ones that are being uh, a slash and the moral erode that's going in our country, you know, if you've ever sitting there and you've racked your brains like, how? How could the church do that? How could they even, even wonder about that? How could they? And it's not just that issue. It's many issues. It's like, what? I mean, that's basic biblical truth. How could you sit there on the one breath, say you're a Christian, and you sit there, what? I'm telling you, it's because of this machine in the wicked world system. It's seducing the minds of the people, and it's not just a temptation, it's a temptation to say it's okay. And Isaiah has a very strong warning. Woe to the nation, woe to the people that would call evil good and good evil and call out light for darkness and darkness for light. Woe. He wasn't talking slow down horsey. He was talking doom, okay? And our country is continuing to do that and say over and over again that, no, this evil is good. And those of you who think it's evil, that's you're the ones that are evil. and That's the society that we live in. It's this wicked world system. That's where it's coming from. That's the importance of being disciples for Jesus Christ. That's the importance of daily, as we saw, being in the scripture ourselves and constantly being under uh, and, and learning to be these disciples, like studies like this and on Sundays and elsewhere, so that we can know the Bible. Because our brains are being shaped and formed in one fashion, one way or another. And it's either God or this, it's this world system. And if it's this wicked world system, is it any wonder we have what we have? Okay, and that's what he says there. It is uh, from Satan. He promotes it and is its prince and God, little g. This cosmos system is largely characterized by its ideals and entertainments. And these become allurements to the Christian who is in this cosmos. Though, here's the point, you're not to be a part of it. Don't beat the hornet's nest. Okay, these features of the cosmos are often close counterfeits to the things of God, and in no place does the believer need guide, divine guides more than when attempting to draw a line of separation between the things of God and the things of Satan's cosmos. Listen, the other reason why is not because of the unfortunate promotion of this entity in the negative, it's because Christians don't understand and they don't know the positive, so they cannot draw that line of distinction. They don't know. Because the word of God is either not being taught in many churches today and it's become a feel-good message and you're more concerned about finances or attendance than you are in faithfully preaching the word of God. And if you're faithful to preach the word of God, the Bible says that half the time you're going to be convicted, which is for our good. But see, if you want to grow a church, as the experts would say, you never talk about hell. This is in the church today, folks. Never mention the hell. 
Don't ever talk about sin because you want people to feel good when they come. Okay? Uh, don't, even, don't talk about God's wrath. Don't do a message on the last days. <laughs> don't talk about that. And you know what? It works. You'll get a whole slug of people. You'll get people, they'll feel so good about themselves. They'll even feel quasi-spiritual. But if you had a church that's 500 people and only five of them are born again, what in the world did you just accomplish? It is the truth that sets us free. I want to know how to win over temptation. But if I'm going to win over temptation, i.e. a solicitation to do sin, to do evil, I have to deal with the sin. I have to know where is it coming from. I have to know the sufficiency I have in Christ that I don't have to give into that. I have to talk about it. But if you never talk about it, you are actually helping people stay in bondage. That's not a service to people. That's a detriment. And that's what, unfortunately, many churches today have gotten schnookered into. Let's finish this up. We need uh, here to also be reminded of a verse that we're becoming familiar with from the Apostle Paul. Romans 12, 12 states, And do not be conformed to this what? This world, this hornet's nest, the, the world that's an enemy of God that says, says I, I hate God and don't, no, 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 don't let that thing shape you. Don't let this educational system secular. Don't let the TV, don't let the internet, don't let this world beliefs mold you, is what he says there. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's from the word of God, so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is what? God's will in comparison to what the world says. See, that's the lie of the world, isn't it? It's that you need to do what is sinful, you need to do what is wrong, you need to do this thing because that's it, that feels good, it's all about you, and, and woo, that's awesome. No, God's will is good, it is perfect, it is acceptable. There is not one command in Scripture that is bad for us. And that's the lie of this wicked world system. Take shortcuts with God, and you're going to have a great life. He's out to destroy you. But when you do it God's way, hey, hey, that's the path to a good life, an acceptable life, and a perfect life. Do you see how the enemy has completely twisted it around? Do it God's way and enjoy the blessings. Always had a guy that I sat under my first internship. He always had that phrase, Pastor Bill. He said, be obedient and be blessed. Every commandment in scripture is for our good. God loves us. He knows everything about life. He's the one that gave us life. He knows how to give us a good life. Follow him. Follow me, Jesus said. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That will drag you down and destroy you. And if he can pull it off, the enemy wants you dead. Don't put that yoke on. Let's continue on as we close. We are constantly bombarded by temptation to be conformed to the world of our culture, uh, accepted attitudes, actions, and standards. Attitudes, actions, and standards, which are in direct opposition uh, to God's. Okay, We want to do as the crowd is doing, so we will not look or appear different uh, or appear to be different. Isn't that funny when you're growing up real quick? This is a little another Midwest thing, unfortunately, tonight is a theme. Uh, growing up that, uh, you know, you told your parents, no, I want to dress this way. You know, I'm trying to be me. I'm trying to be unique. And you look out and you realize as you get older, the way you were dressing was just like everybody else. So much for being unique. But anyway, that's right. Hey, uh, this is fine when it does not involve a compromise of God's truth. But when it does and we conform, we become an enemy of God. Let me do one thing as we close. I'm going to read you a story, a great one, one of my favorites, dealing with this issue. See, in this world, we, we might get to the point where we're saying, yes, this world is a big, giant hornet's nest that's a big, giant enticement to sin, okay? 
But what we do is we categorize sin. We toy with it by saying, well, that's, we, we don't even consider it a sin. And let me give you one of the biggest sins that are out there today. It's called idolatry in the Bible, but we don't call it idolatry, okay? Because it's great for our economy. It's called materialism, okay? And you're never satisfied with what you want or what you got. It's called coveting. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't get brought up too much. But listen, you run that thing, and it will destroy you every single time. We'll close with this story. This is what this wicked world system, this is the first of three enemies we've got to deal with every single day. And he wants you to run like a rat for all the things of this world. Do not love the things of this world or the love of the Father is not in you. Not saying that only a good Christian lives in a cardboard box. I'm not saying that. But if all you live for is this and you've got to have more and you've got to have more and you've got to have more, he's out to get you. We'll close with this. Leo Tolstoy, he once wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who wasn't satisfied with his lot in life. Right? God says be content. But that's the temptation. You toy with that long enough. Ooh, that, God, hey, how many guys ate something today? How many guys have clothes on? Praise God. Y'all raise your hands. Okay. And, uh, and so and how many guys have a place to sleep tonight? Hey, praise God. God's good. Isn't life wonderful? You seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, what you wear. Hey, life is good. But see, that's not good enough from this world, is it? You got to have more. See, that's the temptation. Here's what he says. This guy was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. And one day he received an offer for 1,000 rubles. He could buy all the land he could walk around in one day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at the starting point by sundown. So early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. Okay? And even though by midday he was getting very tired, he kept on going, covering more ground, right? Because the more he could do, woo, the more he can get, more, more, more. Well, he got well into the afternoon. He realized that his greed had taken him very far from the starting point. So he quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink uh, low in the sky, because he had to get back to the starting point or he'd lose the deal. <clears throat> he realized he had to make it back before sundown, or he'd lose all the land he had just gained. So he began to run faster, and he began to run faster, and he began to run faster. And just as the sun began to sink low below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line. And so he's gasping for breath. His heart is pounding. He's calling upon every bit of strength left in his body. He staggers across the finish line just before the sun disappeared. Woo! However, the man immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth, and in a few minutes, he was dead. Here's the pun of the story. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. Oh, the man got his land all right. It was about six feet long and about three feet wide. And the title of the story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? How much stuff do we need? How much money do we need? How many things do we need? How much food do we need? Look around, looking like we're doing pretty good. God's ended up to his, how much is enough? And this is just one of a multitude of enticements from this wicked world system to destroy you. We are in a battle, not a cakewalk as Christians. And if we want to experience the victory we already have in Jesus Christ and stop having so many train wrecks, i.e. deal with temptation, we have to deal and understand and put a serious disdain in our mouth for the place that we trod every single day is out to get us. And don't toy with it. Don't flirt with it. We simply flee and enjoy God's provision until we get to heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. 
Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. 
And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.